This podcast is brought to you by the Common Mission Project. Hello and welcome to the Common Mission Project podcast series. With me as always today is my trusted co-host, Rodrigo. How are you doing, Rodrigo? Very well, Jim. What about yourself? I'm doing good. It's a dreary day here in Western New York after the very dry snap we had recently. So we're getting some rain. So the grass is turning green again. So it's a little bit nice to, to have a little bit of change in weather. But I had to turn the, the heat on today. You would think, uh, you know, we're recording this in the summertime for anybody who's catching this in December. And it was that's a little unusual. But, Ma- you know, man, you you were smoke. How, how did it go with all the fires? Yeah, we uh, so I'm sure everybody paying attention to the weather saw that the the fires in Alberta had drifted to the to the uh, northeast all the way from where I am here in New York up to New England and down in D.C. It was bad. I mean, like those pictures were orange. apocalyptic. Well, yeah. did it look like that in your place? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you would go down and it was you couldn't see the sky for several days. So it was uh, and then the smell, the smell was so prevalent. It smelled like um you know, when you've got a, when you've been having a fire out in the backyard and it's, or at a camping ground and then all of a sudden, you know, it's been out for a few hours and you still have that sooty smell, if that's a yep. word. Um, and it was just like that everywhere. Well, now you at the East Coast know what we go through uh, here at the West Coast pretty frequently, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's, it, it is tough. We need to do something about it. Uh, one day, let me, maybe we can talk about some of the interesting projects that I've seen the Department of Defense going regarding to the management of wildfires and how how important it is uh, and how much innovation we need in projects like that. This is a, one of those spaces where uh, the area is ripe for or hacking for impact uh, efforts. Oh, absolutely. No, a few years ago, I had a project with the uh, National Geospatial Agency that was talking about predictive uh, modeling for natural disaster resource allocation. So, I mean, this is obviously not a new thing. And with, with climate change, this is going to become more prevalent. So anybody who's interested in, in solving climate crises that we're, that we're dealing with, uh, get in touch with Hacking for Defense or the Hacking for uh, Impact team at Common Mission Project, because we would love to talk with you. Yeah, the, the, the state of California partner with the XPRIZE Foundation, and there is now an XPRIZE uh, for, uh, for innovation in the field mm-hmm. of uh, wildfire fighting. And it's exciting, right? So in many ways, there is a dual-use uh, approach to this mm-hmm. uh, with, the, with the merger of technologies that are normally used in the defense environment. Because if you think about it, fighting a, a, against a fire has, requires rapid detection and rapid right. intervention, placing a payload. And this idea of using drone technology, satellite imaging, uh, in order to deal with the response, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's new, right? We want to hit yeah. those, those fires in minutes, not in hours or days, so we can hit them when we can still uh, make an impact before they become these monsters like the ones you had last week. So glad yeah. things are better, though. Yeah, and hopefully, yeah, but hopefully the the fire season. I know they're even saying that right now. New England can be uh, is is looking at even being more risk than the West uh, this year. I just read an article on that uh, today. So yeah, it's, it's no joke. And you know, anybody who's listening in these impacted areas, we hope you're safe and 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 staying uh, staying comfortable because I know this is not a. Unfortunately, it's not an unusual thing now, but, you know, the wildfire, you know, it's actually an interesting conversation. I mean, a, not that we meant it for it to be this way, Rodrigo, but it's kind of, our topic today is going to be talking about yep. this idea of market research, uh, market, uh, waterfall market research and lean launchpad, which we can use kind of this idea of, of threat mitigation from natural disasters is, is good examples. We'll get into some of those uh, areas here, but this is a really good example of where we're seeing things happening in the world around us that we have to be cognizant of and um, understanding these different methodologies and where there are opportunities for them to work together or be complementary or one works better than the other, depending on your application is something that we see happening in mission-driven organizations as well as the H4 classroom. So these these wicked problems like we have with natural disaster certainly uh, lend themselves being looked at under the, eye, under the guise of these types of methodologies, I, I would yep. think at least. Yeah, no, I, I would say that one of the important things to understand about the emergence and metho- of methodologies like those used by Hacking for is that they, they emerge in contrast to something else, which are the traditional uh, so-called strategic planning practices, so prevalent, of course, in the public se- in the private sector, but also in the public one, right? Sure, so, right. Uh, the federal government agencies actually have a legal mandate to run strategic planning exercises in the way uh, we understand them. And Mm -hmm. the main methodology doesn't have to be the only one, but the main methodology in which they've done it, it's based on what we would call the, consider the waterfall approach, right? Right. The waterfall approach that will be very familiar 
to to many of our faculty members who are listening to us, who come from business administration, business administration uh, uh, departments, but maybe not so much to those who come from engineering or other yeah. places. And they they might recognize it, but they might not have a name for it, right? Yeah. So uh, what is what is what is the uh, waterfall, Jim? How do you teach it? So I'm going to first, I think is going to be this idea of I teach it practically, but I think it's important, like like we do in the classroom is to say, well, what is what is waterfall? And I think that's an important and there's lots of different definitions. We can look at it from a project management perspective, from an engineering project management, lots of ways of being able to do this. But at its core and is that it is a sequential approach, <clears throat> excuse me, that follows a linear path from problem identification to solution implementation. So the way that I frame this in the classroom or if I'm talking with anybody who's in an entrepreneurial, uh, you know, organization or is looking to start a business is let's think about something that we can, most of us can relate to is some type of project. And I look at something like, say, we're going to build an aircraft carrier, right? That would lend itself really well to doing a, a waterfall approach for lots of different reasons. Now, obviously there are pros and cons here, which I know Rodrigo, we can get into, but thinking about, we've got this massive thing that we have to build. We have to have a certain set of requirements in order to build this, and then we're going to execute based on those plans. That works sometimes, right? We know that if, you, if you're if you going to try to be building a next-gen aircraft carrier and you're trying to use something like Agile or Lean Launchpad, doing that pure is going to maybe mean that you're never going to get your ship built. Or your MVP of a ship is going to result in lives being lost or damage yeah. to, the, to the vessel, whatever. So I tend to try to, to focus any of these conversations on methodology from a practical perspective, because I think yep. it helps uh, students understand and it helps me conceptualize how to describe to them what a project is or I isn't based on that description. And one of the reasons why it actually would work building your number 12th carrier of the Nimitz class is because you have built 11 before, right? So right. One, of the, one of the issues here has a lot to do with the predictability versus uncertainty of the uh, a business model or or mission model that you are building right so right. and you 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 ca you made some caveats and those are good because one of the things that we actually discovered is that as we were building the new Ford class carrier to to, to stay in your example okay. we actually applied lean and agile in some components because mm -hmm. we were dealing with uncertain environments where we had no a validation of the business model and literally right. we needed to learn about it but yeah as you mentioned uh, and for for listeners who are familiar with this they recognize there's a very famous graphic it's been done like a hundred million times but it always looks the same a little series of boxes where you can see the flow going from the top to the bottom and it always comes down right right the always waterfall down. name Right. And you started, you say, you start with requirements, right? A bunch of mm -hmm. smart people sit in a room and they come up with what they think. And this is actually where the problem starts, right? Yes, uh, it does. Yep. They they start coming with requirements. This is what we need. We know what we need. And we're going to just make a list of all this stuff uh, that we need. We're going to put it together and then we're going to design it, right? We're going right. to bring our engineers and we're going to brainstorm and this is where all that funky stuff comes in the case of government here is where we come with the request for proposals right right we know what the gizmo uh, exactly yeah so we know what the gizmo should look like we decided what were the components we think we understand the problem our only issue here is now to build it right, right? and right. now we go and we ask Lockheed Martin or North Montgruman or a startup somewhere in the Bay Area go mm -hmm. and build it for us this right. implementation phase right right uh, and then after that we just test a few times to see if we got it right and then the next 30 years we 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 will perform maintenance and we're right, done we're gonna be in sustainment at that point Correct. right yep. yeah and, and it's it's you know we see this type of um requirements from an rfp perspective being very prevalent in the federal government from an acquisitions perspective because yep. it is easier to manage uh because there it's very sequential it's much more black and white i told you to do x if you don't do x you're in violation of the contract it makes things a little bit easier Correct. but what it precludes us from being able to do is that innovation and being responsive what's on the market now we're going to get into some of these things a little bit later on in the episode but what we what i our intent here is not to badmouth waterfall or badmouth lean launchpad even though we're proponents of each of these in in the appropriate setting but it's important to understand where the limitations exist for all of these but also where it does make sense to deploy one methodology versus another and Correct. you have to have that have to know that that there's not always going to be one size fits all for your project yeah and the problem is that until 
Lint entered the room to use the, the internet meme, right? So <laughs> until until that happened, the default was waterfall, and the default right. remains waterfall in the in the government, right? So uh, one of the things that Steve Blank mentions is how uh, one of the epiphanies he had, no pun intended, to his, <laughs> his uh, the, the title of his own work, but one of the epiphanies he had is that startups are not just big companies, small, right? So right, that exactly. actually are very different institutions. Well, that difference of the startup as a temporary organization decide, designed to validate a unknown business model uh, is very relevant because that juxtaposes in opposition to Waterfall. Because in Waterfall, as we said, Jim, the first step, the very first step is that we set the requirements. So we yeah. know them. Waterfall always assumes that the problem is validated and you understand every element of the business model. Yes. You yes. should, you're in Waterfall, you're starting to use the language here of with a fully populated business canvas. And then right. it's just a matter of executing. And right. what Lean says, no, that's not true. You have to do some basic research first before mm -hmm. you ever consider that you know what it is when you are building it. Right, which is fundamentally at odds with the Lean Launchpad methodology of assuming, you know, the problem and solution. And this is, an again, an interesting paradigm. But one little caveat that we should add into this from a project management perspective, this is where you do see these methodologies deployed across the plethora of uh, any, any government project. Project management is a relatively new field. If you think about it very practically, we, yep. you know, we're, we saw the saw the explosion of having project managers back in the 60s and 70s. And now you do have dedicated project management methodologies that are not waterfall or not lean or not um, anything else. It, you know, you might have a PMBOK approach or an ITIL approach uh, that you're seeing now. But that, again, doesn't preclude from using these methodologies. And I think um, Agile is even now part of the PMP exam. But the one thing that I would toss out there with all of this is that the reason that these methodologies exist is if you think about the, you know, let's go back to the 1800s. How were the railroads built in the United States? When there were problems, they just threw money and bodies at the problems. Yep. And so you're talking about they would exhaust every fund they have, exhaust every single human being, every human capital resource they had to get the project done. Well, that paradigm doesn't exist anymore. A company will go out of business because they mishandle a software launch or an upgrade. It's not uncommon. 70% of software projects fail, right? So methodology in of itself is important. Now, if you're looking at, we're talking about with waterfall and doing it in places where maybe it doesn't make sense, it's still having a process around something, even if it's not 100% correct. So Again, I want to not badmouth where Waterfall is appropriate and applicable, but one of the fundamental areas of Lean Launchpad is we don't assume we know the problem. Therefore, we don't assume we know the solution. I think that's a really important um, uh, distinction between those two, even with the methodology being what it is. Correct. So, so and again, uh, the, the assumption here, the dangerous assumption of, uh, of, of Waterfall that it's made in places where it shouldn't be made is that you understand what the problem is. Uh, yes. When you do waterfall, it's actually still a very effective way of managing a problem, right? And the typical Absolutely. example here will be something that it's a franchise, right? If you're mm -hmm. going to open a a casual fast food, uh, what, the, what do they call it now? Fast, fast casual, right? So fast a new, casual, right, yeah. A, 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 new, a new fast casual uh, franchise. And you go and invest a bunch of money and the main company goes and already did the uh, uh, market research, which we haven't talked about yet, but we nope, will we'll get there. The market rich research of your area, and they know that there is enough uh, demand for to support yet another Chipotle in your uh, uh, city. And mm -hmm. then you go and buy the franchise. The franchise comes with the franchise literature and the machinery right. and the equipment and the training. And I mean, McDonald's has this university. I don't know if there's, if there's a Chipotle university. I would love to work in Chipotle university. I love the name. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in Chipotle university, you get everything that you need. So basically setting up a, a, a another unit of uh, operational unit of this mm -hmm. franchise mode. Uh, you set the requirements. We need it in such and such address. You design the building, you choose the people, etc. You execute, you build, you hire the contractors, put it together, and then you run it for the next 30 years. That's fantastic. Even in those cases, you can run the franchise of a multi-billion dollar company using Waterfall. You cannot run Waterfall only for the main parent company. And this exactly. is something that... 
fast food companies are learning as mm -hmm. the strategic environment shifts, as consumer preferences morph, as people become more conscious of calories or GMOs mm -hmm. or uh, 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 the amount of saturated carb that they're eating, etc. Your mold that might have worked perfectly in the last 20 years might now be crumbling. In fact, Clayton Christensen, in a previous episode, we talked about it, went mm -hmm. and studied milkshakes, right? And milkshakes right, yeah. were, sh their market was shifting, right? So mm -hmm. even in the case when you think you understand the problem, you still want to make sure that you have some kind of lean or uh, agile or whatever you want to call it. We call it hacking mm -hmm. for, right? But whatever you right. want to call it, mechanism on top that allows you to look for transformations that take what used to be a well-validated business canvas and now one of those validated assumptions that you had, maybe it's now becoming again a hypothesis, right? Yes, and you might exactly. need to default back to scanning and learning about the environment. Yeah, so let's jump into just a, a couple of quick like key elements of waterfall. And there's something here that I think is important distinction about why the good and bad with this. And you mentioned the franchising of a fast casual restaurant. Well, this is, makes sense, right? So they've identified the problem. We are going to open this right. We want to open a restaurant in this area. We've done the market research yep. and said, "Yep, this. You know, why is there a Starbucks on you know two corners on Fifty Second Street in New York?" <laughs> well, it's like, well, the market will tolerate that. We've done the market research. We know that this is not going to be competing with one another. Whatever. Then they're going to have any of the research designs. They're going to have anything that they're going to have any questions they have to answer, those kind of things. They'll collect any data that they need. So again, we just talked about that from a fast casual perspective. They'll analyze that and then they're going to execute. What you'll notice in that with Waterfall is there's no feedback loop. Yep. So, and in the case of, like you were saying, Rodrigo, with a fast casual or if you're building a ba battleship and you've built 11 of them, do you need that feedback loop to a large extent? But you could maybe argue that as a whole, perhaps you don't. That's fine. That works. But the distinctions here with lean are that that feedback loop is ever present. And this is why that we end up having this methodology being useful in a, a broad scope of applications is because of that feedback loop. It's not assuming that we both know the problem and the solution. So again, waterfall, excellent applications when it's done appropriately. But Rodrigo, as you mentioned, it doesn't mean that the head office is only doing waterfall because then you are precluding yourself from being yep. able to be responsive to the shifting needs of that market, right? So you think about if we go back to the idea of ships, I think is a probably a good one. If we were using waterfall for everything, would we have had nuclear carriers or nuclear submarines? Yep. I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they would have said, well, this isn't the, the propulsion is not the problem and we're just going to build a bigger fuel tank for the, the diesel. For, that, in, in, not the problem. Yeah. Yeah, in, in, that, that's a great a great point. So in, in, in military affairs, we talk about military revolutions, right? The structure mm -hmm. of military. And, and in, in, in military revolutions, one of the issues is when you transition from sails to the steam engine, uh, when you transition from destroyers to carriers. Now, when we start to see the emergence of autonomous systems, if you just keep building the Navy of the last battle, you'll go and lose the next one, right? This exactly. Is the, this is the issue, right? So right. we admit that... Uh, we don't know what the next battle is going to look like, but very probably it's not going to be like the one the one we just fought, right? Exactly. So, exactly. And in that regard, uh, a waterfall, which is something that is fairly ingrained or it has been in, in military planning, can be detrimental. And this is something that DOD has uh, identified as a threat. And many of the efforts that we see deployed around the, 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 the military enterprise is precisely to reverse this dependency we were having with this very big... Uh, almost uh, Soviet-like planning styles of the five-year plan and then mm -hmm. uh, just go and execute all the way to bankruptcy, right? Yes. So, so uh, yeah, this is a big challenge. And part of what we do in the Hacking for the Friends world is precisely uh, to pre pre present a, a, a counter to Waterfall there where Waterfall is probably not the most appropriate mechanism. Where, 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 we, we, where, where it is... Perfect. Continue doing it. If you have a well-validated business model and you don't think that there is a threat of things changing in the next, uh, then continue applying the mechanisms of waterfall. If right. you don't think that you understand the problem completely, then Lean and and, and Hacking4 uh, has presented an alternative to sponsors uh, to get more information, more than about the solution, yes. about the problem. The problem. Which is really the hallmark there is that, and I think that's a really important piece here for anybody who's in a mission-driven organization, you're starting a business, whatever. It, you can't be married to what you think is right, 
and you can't execute blindly because if you build a product, let's just say I've got a great idea. And there's a bunch of these videos on Steve Blank's website about MVPs, but I think it's equally applicable here when you're not talking with users. One of the great videos that he recorded, it's very short. I will link it in the description of this episode is um, the idea of drone imaging for farm farmers yep. uh, that manage their fields. And the, the gentleman that Steve Blank was mock interviewing was talking about, well, I need $200,000, whatever the amount was to build this drone, to get this special type of spectral imagery for the farmers so that they will know when to plant their crops. And Steve asked him, do the farmers care about high res imagery and where it's coming from? And the student or the, the, you know, the, the business uh, startup owner was, I don't know. I haven't really asked. Well, go back and ask the question, what do they care about? And at the end of the day, if you'd actually gone through and validated this $200,000 drone that was yep. going to be like spectral imagery, they didn't care. The farmers wanted to know what are the conditions that I need to be cognizant of from a data perspective so that I will have the highest crop yield with the littlest use of pesticides or whatever it looks like. And the Steve said, could you just put the camera on the back of a wagon and walk through the farm field? Well, I could. Why didn't you do that? And then we, we are yep. able to kind of minute, we're able to validate an MVP, but if we had taken that from a waterfall perspective instead of lean, what would they have done? They would have built a drone that would have been doing some really crazy stuff with imagery that would have been mostly useless. There you go. And the, here is where where um, lean, it's better than waterfall for government and right. where go waterfall fails and it fails all the time, right? So oh, yeah. as you mentioned, Jim, right? There is no, there is no feedback loop, right? right? So not only that, you start with what it's, Frankly, for us in Lean, the goal, right? You start yeah. with the end, which is yes. requirements. Right. So uh, this is typical. And for folks uh, who are in the civil service in any capacity, you will recognize this, right? So uh, the chief of a police department and their uh, deputies, right? Their, 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 their captains come together and decide mm -hmm. that they want to change the software of their black and whites of their patrol cars their interceptors so mm -hmm. they think they know it all right so they, right. they 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 come up with a bunch of list of things that they want and of course this this in software design we call it bloatware right when you mm -hmm. start to just throw specs into the wall uh, and the chief has probably hasn't been in a black and white in the last 20 years right so right. he would so have been in management but he exactly he knows what he's now i'm, I'm being here you're i'm being exaggerating but, but your point but is still I, well I'm, taken yeah and this is a case that i've seen they did yeah. so they come up with the software so they design it they they come up with the the, the team from the software company is there so they are diligently taking notes right so the mm -hmm. project manager you were mentioning right so the project manager is doing what project managers do mm -hmm. the, the the hair of the engineer is probably on fire as he's hearing <laughs> all the stuff that needs to yes. be done but right. whatever right and then they disappear for eight months right after mm -hmm. they get the contract right so they 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 would they won because they were the lowest bidder right so normally yep. that's how they get it mm -hmm. and uh, eight months later they implement they come back with a software that for the first time is going to be seen by the operators by the patrol officers right well now they're stuck for the next 20 years of their lives with this software that clearly forgot that button X needed to be on the left and not on the right, and that the field, whatever, needed mm -hmm. to be there when you, and it's not there, so now they'll have to hack it and do, do from now to time in memorial a bunch of crappy training mm -hmm. in order to uh, uh, put that on the comment section of an email that now they have to send every day instead of being able to just do everything on the interface, right? Right, yeah. This is, this is where we fail. And if you try to ask that company, to change the software, they'll tell you that, that that's outside of the scope of the contract, right? Every time. And it's going to cost you $3 million to move the button from the left to the right. Yes, you're absolutely right. And you're right. We see this all the time. And it's, and I think what it comes, to, I've seen it where it's bravado. Somebody wants to, in a position of authority, yep. I know the problem, I know the solution. <clears throat> so therefore you're going to do X, Y, and Z for me. But if you're far, even if you're not far removed from it, if you're not really identifying what the true pain point is, think about the problem that you just talked about wouldn't have a right seat ride with the developer watching somebody do this for five minutes yep. answered 50% of those problems you just discussed? Yep. It would have. Um, and the next step, which we would do in Lean, is bring a bunch of mock-ups, right? So just yes. put a bunch of power uh, interactive PowerPoints and yeah. let patrol officers just play with it, right? And they're, oh, dude, why are you doing this? Where, where, where is the field for uh, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the code violation? I don't see it. Oh, crap, we forgot it, right? Yeah. So... Uh, and you keep doing that. The other element that we haven't talked about yet, uh, Jim, that it's important is that there is an element of co-creation in Lean. Yes, really important right? point. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, do you want to mention something about it? So, well, no, actually, why don't you start with this, Rodrigo? Because I think yep. you were going somewhere. So I'm gonna let you let you feel this yeah. first. So, so co-creation is very important because if I come with a fully fledged software eight months later, I'm gonna ram it down the throat of the patrol officers that feel that it's an imposition and they're pissed off about they having to deal with yet another crappy system. Yes. If on on the other hand, I'm building it with them, and every ten days or every seven days, I come back to them and show them and tweak them. They become co-authors of mm -hmm. this thing we are building together. They have yes. ownership and they become your allies in the deployment and success of the new project. So if we forget the user, not only we are forgetting who's the most important actor, the beneficiary of what we'll be doing, mm -hmm. we are setting ourselves to be victims of sabotage of the actors that actually should be acting as your allies. Yes. And I think that's a really important point here is that you know, it's something I, I tell all my students and I, and I think, I hope everyone listening to this will, re, will respect this point is that there is an idea sometimes, and I've seen this with, with uh, every generation is that, well, they're just an admin. I don't really need their opinion on this software or they're, they're just this or just that. And I would challenge anybody with that mindset as you're getting requirements is if you're on a campus and this is when I use my students, I said, you know, I asked them, are the janitors at the campus more or less important than me as your faculty? And the students, oh, you're the faculty. is like, well, that's interesting because how could I teach here if this building wasn't clean and if the lights weren't on and I didn't have all the resources and stuff I need? So let me re-ask the question, are they more or less important? And the answer is we share equal importance. We executed this, a different mission, a different set of missions to meet the, meet the needs of the entire organization. So this is where you might, this dismissive attitude that we often see is, well, this is just an ex person, you know, a junior enlisted soldier. Why do I care about that? Well, if you were ever junior enlisted or you ever talked to one of them, you'll know that if they're going to do everything in their power to break something or to do something different or make it quicker, well, that's the person I want to use that's going to be trying this. I want yeah. to try it. I want to be using it. And this is a really important, the really important aspect of lean and why I think it's so successful from a uh, entrepreneurship perspective is it does, it does require that feedback loop and then gets different stakeholders at all different stratifications of an organization or that are touching a problem to come and talk about it and for you to be able to get their experiences. This is such a great point. And it's another element of difference between the traditional strategic planning mentality versus a build, measure, learn mentality, right? Yes. If you think about the dynamic of a traditional strategic plan uh, crafting, right? So mm -hmm. I, I work as facilitator for the Commission of Post in California, the Peace Officer Standard Training. And by law, they have to come up with these things. So the way this works normally is that you invite a facilitator mm -hmm. and you go to some kind of retreat somewhere in the woods, whatever, right? And you do some kumbaya songs and you build some uh, 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 spaghetti towers, marshmallow towers, or build a, 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 a tent blindfolded in order to team build the, the whatever, right? So this right. kind of some gimmicky kind of facilitation. Right. And yep. we come with our mission and our vision and all those these bombocious terms. And we end up with four key strategic goals that we came together because we're super smart and we are now inspired because we are in this top of the mountain and breathing all this oxygen. And we put that in a glossy brochure. We send mm -hmm. it to the city council and the major and whatever stakeholders, uh, con local congress or your local assembly, whatever. And for the next five years, we will deeply ignore the thing, right? So yes, it exactly. becomes credence aware. We will just go back whenever we have to justify what we need to do. And that's it. That's, that's, that's lean. Right. Yes. So and yeah. there's no buy in. Right. And nobody really cares about many of these documents. Uh, Henry Minsberg has mapped these. Most organizations confess to ignore their so-called strategic plans on a frequent basis. Right. Yeah. So on the other hand, if what we have is a constant dynamic, you were saying of the low ranking people, junior officer, janitor. Well, mm -hmm. there is a paradox in management is that the higher you are in the in the structure of an organization, the more removed you tend to be of its operations. Absolutely. So, you lack visibility of the things you are trying to manage. So you actually need these fantastic feedback loops. Yes. And there are many ways that organizations have been trying to build this alignment. But mm -hmm. all of those me mechanisms, right, that can be OKRs, that can be whatever you are using, right, are built with the goal of creating some kind of co-creation process that Absolutely. looks like lean. 
Yes. And that's a hundred, a hundred percent. I, as far as I, my experience and I've had a lot of those corporate jobs and I think, and I've mentioned this on this, on this uh, series before, and I, I have no problem saying it again. I've worked with so many senior leaders who are willing to be blind to the reality that exists within their yeah. organization, the ecosystem, the problem domain. And if you're doing that, consistently, you will not have a business to be working in anymore because you're not being responsive. And I think your point about this strate- this five-year strategic plan, it's not always this malicious thing where people are ignoring oh, no. this work they've done. And I, I think it's one of, I, I know you didn't mean that, Rodrigo. I know you well enough to know that, I should say. But this is something that happens where it's also the reality is that if, let's talk technology. We had an episode about, you know, emergent AI. Uh, uh, think about if your strategic plan that you wrote four years ago in the technology field, yep. did a lot of these businesses have these in their uh, strategic plan for for building or managing? I, I would, I would, I bet you that was one of those unknown unknown. Yep. As you know, if you go back and listen to our uh, Johari window episode, that okay, it's going to happen. We don't know when. We're not going to really worry about it. But we've seen this massive disruption happen. So if you're following something that hey, year one, the year five that I'm going to do to the letter of the law. I, I think the chance of your business failing or losing customer base or Correct. having some catastrophic issue come up with your with your uh, platform is is you're going to meet that risk is what yeah. I really do believe. And this is where you have that risk with waterfall is that I've identified the problem. I know the solution. I'm going to execute it. But I've wrote those requirements two years ago before it went to RFP, if we're thinking defense acquisitions, right, before the money got appropriated by Congress. And now I'm building something that yeah. I'm being paid to do that is wrong. That happens. Yep. All the time. And so at the operational level, if you don't run a lean uh, build, measure, learn cycle on a project you don't understand or you have not done before, you're going to miss important things. At the strategic level, as we talk with the franchise level versus the corporation of the franchises, Mm -hmm. uh, you will miss shifts in the strategic environment, right? So uh, AI being one example, there are many others, consumer Mm -hmm. preferences, uh, geopolitical shifts, you name it, right? So Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, this is what what Clayton Christensen, we we had an episode on him too, and Clayton Christensen says regarding disruptive innovation is that uh, you will, if if you are not capable of adapting your business plans to disruptive innovation, you will be executing all the way to bankruptcy, right? Yes. So, because that's what happens. It's a perfectly executed business plan all the way to chapter 11, right? Whereas companies or organizations that constantly are probing the environment, learning from it and modifying their operations tend to have higher survivability, right? That's mm-hmm. build, measure, learn, right? Yes. So ultimately what we're discussing here is how well you manage uncertainty. Lean is really good at it. It's built yeah. for it. It's made to place small bets to de-risk with minimum viable products at every mm-hmm. single step of the way, right? On to the point in which you have a validated business model that can scale, that can uh, 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 then be franchise even, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it is that step, that very first step of a, a, a problem setting Right, that we uh, excel when doing lean, and this, by the way, is something that sponsors sometimes struggle because they think Absolutely. that we're yeah. gonna be prioritizing solution building. Mm-hmm. We call that solutioneering, and it's yes. a negative word around here. Check right? out the episode on that. Exactly. Yeah. At this point, <laughs> we are able. We should be able to link to many of them. What we're trying to do more than building a solution, we hope to build a solution, but more than building is to understand the problem. Right. Yes. And if you do that systematically, what you end up building is what we uh, often call learning organizations, right? Organizations that are geared to build these feedback loops between the top uh, management and the operational side of the shop that constantly are learning from what they are building. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at we've kind of given the the acquisitions and government a little bit of a hard time here, but there are places where the times they've gotten it right. And the one that sticks sticks out to me, uh, former infantrymen is thinking about the the small arms that infantrymen, infantry people now uh, use. So you think about going back in the World War One, World War Two. you had these yep. um, these carbines that were very high range, very, uh, very accurate, uh, maybe three rounds that they'd be able to shoot depending on where you are in, the, in this time frame. Um, and they were they were great weapons. They were very yep. robust. I mean, you could bury an M1 Grand in, in the, I bet you there's one that we can pull out of the Atlantic right now and it probably would, probably <laughs> it would, would fire. Yeah, it probably would fire. But what they realized as they were going through all this is that war was getting different and you didn't need to have the accuracy to a kilometer out 
like perhaps you did when, during trench warfare. So this is where you see the emergence of weapons like the M16, the M4, and you're seeing different calibrations of this because they are thinking about what's war going to look like in five to 10 years from now versus what it looked like 30 years ago. Those weapons don't really matter uh, as much. And if you're seeing, if you're thinking about just that little example, this is a place where they kind of got it right. They were out there, they were taking they, taking the research and the examples from the people that were boots on the ground and said, I actually just need a, I need a 30 round magazine that can shoot at 400 meters. I don't need something that's accurate to a thousand meters. I'm not going to be shooting a target that way. I'm just throwing ammunition away at that point. If I'm engaging a target and letting them know that I'm, I'm there. Um, sniper rifle, yeah, obviously a different story, but for small arms and an infantry squad, this is, this is where you see this application of they learned and they were able to deploy weapon sets that made sense for the people who are boots on the ground. Good example. Obviously it doesn't always happen. So, Rodrigo, in the, in the last little bit of this episode, I think one of the things we want to talk about maybe is, you know, from a market research perspective with Waterfall, we talked a lot about this. There's inflexibility that's baked into Waterfall, which depending on application, good and bad, yeah. right? We saw that. But it also does not adapt to shifting market uh, conditions, as you mentioned previously. So let's touch a little bit on that, about yeah. the importance of that that shifting markets and how lean really becomes the, to me, the ideal uh, framework, very structured framework in which to uh, be responsive to shifting market needs. And and this goes to the issue of where do you hear your customers and how do you hear them, right? Yeah. So uh, in the example that I gave regarding the setting of, of requirements in a waterfall approach for a police department software in the black and whites, mm-hmm. um, you probably had a prefunctionary uh, survey that was sent to all the patrol officers at the beginning, right? right. So uh, that's market research, right? You send a uh, Google Forms or whatever, uh, yeah. uh, survey monkey, monkey uh, whatever, and you send it. And most of these surveys, by the way, are not made by uh, professional uh, people who know how to put together uh, statistically sound instruments, right? Yes. They tend to be uh, the captain that gets stuck with the project, so they they do their best to put mm-hmm. what they think makes sense. Or and the questions tend to be something in the in what would you like to see, or what features should be included, or what is wrong with the way we do it right now, and you yes. send it. Yeah. And first of all, you only have like 3% response rate, right? Because people are busy and they don't care and they know that right. you're going to do whatever you want anyway. So why would they even answer it, right? It's a so, cultural issue right there. It's like, why am I going to participate if they're not going to listen to me anyway? So just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit delete or spam on this. Right. It is. Yeah, exactly. It is not statistically significant anyway. Uh, the questions are not designed by, by, by somebody who knows what they're asking. Maybe the engineers, maybe the project manager of the company who won the contract was part of it. Right. right. So, and... Uh, and after that, we will never ask people again until the thing is built, right? right? So market research, when you go and ask people what they want, that's not your that's not their job to tell you, right? This is no, the power of MVPs, right? Yes, so this is the, the whole Henry Ford issue, right, uh, Jim? We, uh, so if I would ask people what they wanted, they would have tell me a faster horse, right? right? Not, so, not a car because it wasn't yeah, a thing to them. And I don't know what that is, right? So yeah. a faster horse. Right, mm-hmm. and in that regard, market research cannot replace the vision of the entrepreneur. Correct. Right? So and now you go and constantly interact with the customer, showing them stuff. This is the value of show and tell. Yes. Uh, and and eliciting feedback that does not replace the strategic vision of the uh, founder or the uh, mission-driven entrepreneur. It is your job to be the one setting the vision. It is your job with that vision to constantly go through build, measure, and learn feedback loops to get that information. That's not just market research. It's not just polling people what they want. You end up with Microsoft Windows 3.11 if you do that, right? A bloated <laughs> software uh, right. with a bunch of features that nobody cares about. Exactly. Right? Um, what you do is that you put together the minimum viable project, the unit that you can use to learn and go through that cycle. That's another way in which Lean excels compared to Waterfall at getting the right feedback from the people and getting them excited about it. Because at that point, it's not going to be 3% who answers this crappy survey. It's going to be the totality of the department that gets to interact with version 1.0 of your product uh, and give you the feedback that you needed. Uh, without asking them what should I do because they have no freaking clue what you should do. They are p- police officers. They are not software designers. Exactly. And I think that's a really a really important point here as we kind of look at this is that the build, measure, learn loop 
MVPs, all these different things that are predominantly featured in the Lean Launchpad methodology are inherently important to making sure that you're getting buy-in. And my my doctoral uh, dissertation had to do with adoption of technology. And it was fascinating to me as I was doing research for this and talking with people about when you have a culture of building this culture on adoption and people listen to you, like, this is my problem. This is how I'm trying to solve it. And our, our, this is my problem. I don't know how to solve it. Or this is what I'm doing, but I don't really know what the problem is because I was shown to do it this way. It's incredible what happens when you start taking into consideration everyone around you in all these different areas that they take ownership along with you. And they're excited about a new project coming up because you've taken their, uh, they're taking their, their, uh, feedback into real consideration and they can see that and you're able to talk about why it is that you've done something like this. So the other part here that I think is important is that innovation um, is unpredictable. And that's one of the key things here that with a waterfall methodology, it's not built for that because if we can predict the future, then these tools don't matter at all anyway, right? It really has to do with the fact that because of the unpredictable nature of the, of the world around us, just, I mean, it, Again, I can we can look at anything on the landscape and say that we predict X, Y, and Z, and it's it's a very difficult thing for us to be able to uh, to envision. This is where waterfall says, even if we put these requirements out five years ago, you're building this. It's not necessarily going to be what's right for market needs at that point in time when you when you release it. So you've already got a a software, a tool, a ship, whatever that is already antiquated or will not meet the needs of the users. And all of a sudden, all you've done is piss people off. You know, that's, yeah. that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and you, 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 I, I, that's such a great point. And, and, and the ultimate place where, where, where uh, Lean excels is precisely innovation management, right? Innovation, yeah. especially in environments where there is some element of disruption, right? So mm -hmm. we talked about disruptive innovation in the past. Uh, you used two terms when you were talking about your work previously, and you use them as synonym, like everybody does, but I know that you know the difference. Yeah. You said buy-in and then you said uh, adoption or co-creation, right? Two so, yeah, very different yeah. things, absolutely. I'm actually yeah. normally, and I know, I mean, I, I do it myself when I'm talking, but I, in, 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 in certain settings, I will speak against the idea of buy-in, right? Yes. Because buy-in assumes that you have come up with already the holy grail of solution, and right. you, the only thing I need you is to buy into it, right? right? And that's so, not what, you're right, that's not what I was talking about. You're I right. know. You're spot on, right, but you're right, so, the colloquialism is, is your absolute right. Buy-in, yeah, so and yep. what you want to do is to get people to co-create with you, right? To adopt it because they feel that they are part of this. And again, Lean, we often talk about its virtues, the risking operations regarding the uncertainty of business model, and that's certainly how it was created. Yes. But the other thing, and this is very important for folks in the civil service that are listening to us, the yes. other thing that it's a great way to build alliances and create coalitions. Yes, absolutely. Right? That and idea of that co it goes back to that co-creation idea, but it expands much further than that. You're, I couldn't agree more with you. Correct. So, so oftentimes I'll have people in government asking me, "Well, but yeah, but that that works in the private sector, but in government we're a different kind. And how do we do it?" Well, part of the issue in government is that sometimes, as we see, and this is why the mission model canvas is different. Mm -hmm. uh, Fundraising is less important than power raising, right? We, we trade in a different currency, and that currency is that of authority and power, yes. right? So, well, one of the jobs that you do, a private sector entrepreneur, is to constantly fundraise for money. Well, one of the things that you should be doing as an entrepreneur in government is to fundraise for authority and power. Yes. Right? And in many ways, that, re that means that if... Lucy, who works in records, doesn't like what you're doing. You're screwed because Lucy is a key actor in yes. records, right? And uh, you have not worked hard enough to make her a co-creator of what you are building, right? Right. If you go lean and you come, hey, Lucy, how are you, right? And you come with a cup of coffee and you bring your doodles. Hey, <laughs> well, we're thinking about changing the system and this change would affect you this way. So how do you feel about, oh, no, if you do that, my job just became... Uh, three hours more complicated. You just made Lucy an adversary. Yeah, because you came early. Because, yeah, exactly. There you go. But because you came early and you saw it, okay, Lucy, no, that's not what I want, Lucy. What I need is to change the job so it's easier for you. What do you need that you don't have right now? Mm -hmm. If you do that multiple times with the core critical stakeholders, you will identify the process flow that builds you the best coalition, not just the best product, which is important, but the best coalition, right? Yes. And yes, that means, especially in government, 
sometimes you'll have to have a few trade-offs like yes. in any product design between efficiency and coalition building. Yes. Uh, and I think that's a, that's one of the themes. Now, just to just touch on one thing right there, you're never going to make everybody happy. So it's one of those things to keep in mind. I've, I've done yeah. software projects where I could have given somebody the moon in a box and they would have told me, well, I, I, I wanted Saturn's moons. And you're like, okay, I'm done with this. But if you don't make the effort to try to get those key players, even if they're a little bit ornery, uh, to, to kind of find that common vision and work with them, that co-creation, that coalition perspective, that's really important. Understanding what your, uh, who you have to get the, the stakeholder buy-in all the way through. And like I said, buy-in from the perspective that they're going to work with you and, and try to help solve these problems or, or identify what a problem is first. If you don't do those things, you're going to have people who are going to, it's going to cause more issues. And then to your point, Rodrigo, and this happens all the time, I've been on sustainment projects for the government. You've got terrible product that is now a program of record that you've got to sustain that had no business being a POR, let alone uh, uh, being a platform, let alone a POR um, to begin with that you have to sustain for 20 years, which means that we go back to that. We're not fighting tomorrow. We're not fighting yesterday's wars. We're not building yesterday's mobile phone. We're looking yep. into the future. And if you're not taking in those considerations, that that market feedback and market being broadly speaking here, right? Whether it's if you're developing a product that you want to sell out to the market or you're doing something internally as an entrepreneur in your organization, you're, you're DOA. And that's really my perspective on this. And this, again, means that if you're a senior leader in the government, organization, academia, whatever it is, and you're listening to this, take a step back realize that you're removed from the problem most of the times and that you have to go and do your market research, even if it's internal to your organization. If you don't do that, I, it's, you're, you're going to have failure points. And I, even if you don't have failure points, you're going to spend more money. I, I'm yep. willing to put, I'm willing to bet the farm on it. Your scope, what you scoped initially will not be sufficient or correct for the end product you want because you did not articulate your problem well enough to begin with because you didn't do that research. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And at this point, I would say, well, look, if, if, if your model is clear, if you know that there is no uncertainty in your environment, waterfall is the right place to go. But mm -hmm. that's a very small percentage of the things we do. And today is the majority of the planning methodologies we use uh, right. in government or big organizations. So what I would say to anybody with decision making authority that's listening to us is um, before any strategic or project management decision, ask yourself the question, right? Am I in a clear domain? There's a great model uh, framework. It's called the Kinevin framework. We probably should make a podcast episode just good, on yeah. that one. Uh, but am I in a clear domain where I understand every element, where my business model is validated with every component of the mission model canvas or, or business canvas uh, is clear to me? Then by all means, just just waterfall, waterfall <laughs> it to the wazoo, right? Absolutely, yep. Any other answer to that question, uh, you are dealing with different levels of uncertainty. Yes. At that point, mechanisms like build, measure, learn mm -hmm. are great ways of de-risking and removing some of that uncertainty. One element we haven't talked about right now, and because I also think we should be building, making a podcast just on that one is, but I'll mention something here is, you might even be in an environment where there is adversarial innovation, right? law enforcement, yes. military, right? Yeah. In that case, it's worse than that because your problem not only changes naturally with the... No, actively, there is a force trying to defeat you and yes. render your actions obsolete. And in that case, you not only have to be constantly changing, your rate of change needs to be higher than that of your adversary. Yeah, and there's, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because there was a there was an article today I read about this the mutation of cyber of cyber threats in the yeah. uh, and they're saying this major mutations coming up in a couple of years, which we'll probably see it sooner than that. But I, I agree with you, Rodrigo. Look for that in a future episode. But um, I think this again, we're not here to 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 denigrate one versus the other. I think what's important for you is as people who are making decisions, as you're leading a new project, you're starting research, is to recognize where you are, and that's what I think we're advocating for here. If you understand the domain very clearly, you have a validated yep. business canvas. I agree with Rodrigo 100%. Go ahead and execute till the cows come home based on the waterfall methodology. I can count on less than one hand out of my almost 20 years yep. in industry, how many times waterfall was effective in those in the defense domain, specifically where I come from. And it's be precisely because 
it didn't work because we didn't know what the problem was. But yep. uh, and this is like we can say, well, defense, you know, there's you know always bad media on the and defense contractors. They're doing exactly what the government's paying them to do. And if they don't do what they're being paid to do, they're out of scope of the contract and it has all sorts of negative ramifications. So to me, the ownership on here is that if we want to be the, providing the best warfighting uh, tools and practices, that means that our project management and our and our methodology of identifying problems has to be the best as well. And in these uncertain environments, it really is lean. Um, but again, if we're building your 11th uh, you know, Nimitz class carrier, hey, go ahead. I would say though, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they are probably using some level of lean oh, yeah. for what software systems or new uh, new mechanics or and, new dis- new materials, and even physically, right? So one of the things that we we know is that for those who have served in the in the navy, each carrier is a little different compared to the previous one because hopefully somebody captures some of the design mistakes that they were made, right? Yeah, so absolutely. Now in a perfect world, you wouldn't have to wait, especially in an era today of VR, right? You wouldn't have to wait until you build a carrier to find a mistake. You could have people role play their role for five or six hours in a VR environment, which I'm hoping that we're doing now mm-hmm. uh, and redesigning the equipment with that feedback in mind. I know, I know many other cases where that has been the case, but certainly, right? So ultimately what you want here is to make sure that we understand why we do lean versus waterfall. The, the the unit of analysis of lean is precisely that of the setting of the problem, understanding the problem and the specifications, right? In waterfall, you take that for granted and you just jump to, directly towards execution. Yep. And like, like we said, if you have any uncertainty, then you have an answer what methodology you should use. Yep. Um, and I know it can be, you know, you've got business leaders who are not fluent in lean or they're not willing to learn Try your best to build uh, advocates within your program to understand that taking that step away can save a business. It can save lives. And that's a really important thing here as we're looking at if you're a mission-driven organization, like we focus on with the Hacking for Defense world, or if you're talking Hacking for Impact, as we referenced earlier, that these are real lives that are being that are at stake here and people's health and well-being and families and all these different things maybe don't have the attitude that I know everything and I can solve the problem and say, I think I know the problem, but I'm going to talk to a few hundred people first to validate this. And then I can say, I think I know what's going on here. And even then, I guarantee you haven't fully scoped the problem, even talking to a few hundred people. That's just, that's my two cents there, Rodrigo. Let's get out of the building. Let's get out of the building. And on that note, we're going to finish off this episode. Rodrigo, always a pleasure to spend some time with you, uh, you know, recording these podcasts. And we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. It was a fun one to put together. And we, uh, Uh, If you haven't already, please subscribe to the series on your favorite podcast platform. Check out our YouTube uh, channel where we do post uh, different content, different videos, sometimes a special edition if you'd like to see our smiling faces as we're trying to get through these episodes. But either way, thank you for joining us and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks again, Rodrigo. Thank you, Jim. Thank you again to the Common Mission Project for their support of this podcast. The Common Mission Project has demonstrated that students can tackle some of the toughest government problems and in doing so, create vibrant, diverse ecosystems where government, academia, and industry build partnerships around problems, prototypes, and solutions to urgent challenges facing our nation. To find out more about the Common Mission Project, please visit commonmission.us, which is linked in the description of this episode, as well as finding out options on how you can get more involved with our wonderful nonprofit organization, including opportunities to donate. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you on the next one.